Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Welcome to worship at Jessup First United Methodist Church. I'm Rebecca Duke Barton, one of your pastors, and I'm here with our co-pastor, Garth Duke Barton. We had a glorious Easter celebration. Our handbells played, lilies filled the church, and every pew was full. It was the first worship service of our newly merged church. God really is making all things new. The lovely thing about being a Christian is that we know that Easter is not over. The Easter egg hunts are done and the marshmallow peeps are all eaten, but the real Easter celebration continues. It isn't just a one-day event. Jesus is still risen. Hallelujah, y'all. Hallelujah, y'all. Jesus is risen. Thomas had missed the initial resurrection appearance when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. Thomas needed to see Jesus for himself. A week later, the disciples gathered together again. Let's see what happens in John 20, 24 through 31. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 2. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been to the Coca-Cola Museum in downtown Atlanta? You know, the whole museum is dedicated to a soft drink. It really is a lot of fun. You go through and hear the history of Coca-Cola. You learn about John Pemberton, the pharmacist who invented Coca-Cola. They will tell you he invented the recipe in Atlanta, even though he was really from Columbus. His secret formula is in a vault there in the Coca-Cola Museum. You hear about Isaac Handler, the first president of Coca-Cola. Just for a little Methodist fun, his brother was a Methodist bishop, Warren Candler. That's who Candler School of Theology is named for, the Methodist bishop with his brother's Coca-Cola money. James Laney, a professor at Candler who became president of Emory, used to say that there are three words that are the same in every language. Amen, hallelujah, and Coca-Cola. Now, 
I'm one of those Pepsi won't do kind of people. Chad Brooks says that Pepsi tastes like a cavity, but Coca-Cola tastes like your childhood. When a waitress says, is Pepsi okay? I'm one of those who wants to say, only if it's okay if I pay with Monopoly money. I want the real thing. If you go to the Coca-Cola Museum, your tour culminates in a room where you can taste Coca-Cola products from around the world. There are soda fountains all around the room, and you've got a sample cup, and and it just makes you want to try them all. But not all Coca-Cola drinks are created equal. There are some very strange flavors from around the world. Okay, so if you've been to the Coca-Cola Museum, maybe you've tasted the drink called Beverly. Beverly is an Italian Coca-Cola product. It is not delicious, beloveds. It's so bitter, and Coke is not meant to be bitter. (laughs) So, of course, my favorite thing to do is take someone who hasn't been to the museum before and say, oh, you must try the Beverly. My poor sister, my kids, my friend from Germany who was an au pair and came to our Wesley group when I was in college. The Holy Spirit is still working on my sanctification. But honestly, I think even if I said, whew, that Beverly, it's nasty. If you're determined to try every one, you're still going to want to try it. There's something in us that wants to try things for ourselves. We don't just take someone else's word for things. God gave us five senses and we want to use them all in gathering information. We need to taste it. We need to smell it. We need to hear the fizz. I think this in part explains Thomas's reaction to the news that Jesus is risen. In our gospel reading for the day, it's a week after Easter. Mary the Tower, Joanna, Simon Peter, John, and all of the other 11 had seen Jesus in person on Resurrection Day. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't with them. He had heard the reports, we have seen the Lord. But his first inclination is not to say, hallelujah, y'all. He's skeptical. Somebody who has been crucified, dead, and buried usually stays dead. So Thomas understandably doesn't accept somebody else's word. He wants to see Jesus for himself and not just see. He wants to reach out and touch the hands of Jesus. He wants to put his fingers where the nail scars are. He wants to place his hand where the sword pierced Jesus' side. His own senses need to tell him the story. Unless, he says, unless I see, unless I put my finger in the mark, I will not believe. We live in a skeptical age. So many people do not believe in God at all. First Peter mentions that Jesus was rejected by mortals. Others believe in God in a sort of deist kind of way that he exists, but he's not particularly involved. Certainly not a God who would enter into human history to suffer and die for us and for our salvation. Or I run into a a lot of people who don't believe in God, but somehow they think the universe is sentient. The universe sent me the right person. The universe wants me to make this decision. I don't know why some folks find it hard to believe in God, but easy to think that the universe has a will. But there you go. We live in a skeptical age and a 2,000-year-old book telling the story of a man who was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he rose again sounds to some like an idle tale. In our skeptical age, Thomas might be just the disciple that we need.
Ruth Haley Barton suggests that rather than calling him Doubting Thomas, we should call him Thomas, the honest seeker. He's a model for us. If we have doubts, we seek. You notice Jesus wasn't angry that Thomas didn't immediately believe the reports of his resurrection. Instead, Jesus offered what Thomas needed to believe. This is one of the things that I learned from the great theologian Jimmy Duke. That's my dad. Jesus appeared for 40 days so that we could believe. Without those appearances, he would still have risen. It would still be true. Love's redeeming work is done. Fault the fight, the battle won. Alleluia. But without the appearances following the resurrection, we never would have believed it. Jesus wants us to believe. We can seek out what we need to hear about the resurrection. We listen to the testimony of witnesses. We're probably not going to get the option that Thomas had of touching Jesus's nail-scarred hands, though the risen Christ did appear to Paul in a vision, so you never know what Jesus might do. But when we look at the witnesses, when we look at the evidence, there's no doubt that something happened to move the disciples from people hiding behind locked doors in the upper room to standing on the streets boldly preaching the risen Christ. Something happened. We have the testimony of the witnesses, Mary the Tower, Joanna, Salome, and the disciples, including Thomas. Paul mentions 500 witnesses to the resurrection. We have four Gospels that tell the story of the risen Christ. And John says this is why he wrote the stories down, so that others could hear and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But we aren't just listening to sermons for knowledge. We aren't reading the Bible so that we can win the trivia contest at Damon's every Tuesday. We don't celebrate Easter for 40 days simply as a historical fact. We seek, we listen, we look so that we might believe and believing have life in his name. And so I think the best way to do it is to do what Psalm 34 says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus really is risen and he's offering you life. This is not a trick, beloveds. This is not a situation where I'm trying to trick you into tasting Beverly. I'm saying taste and see that the Lord is good. See Christ for yourself. Jesus is inviting us to dive right in. Try God out. Let yourself see how good God is. Because it turns out what Thomas was seeking wasn't really proof. It was the presence of Christ. He needed to taste and see that the Lord is good. It seems that when it came right down to it, Thomas didn't need to touch the scars in his hands or to touch his side. As soon as Jesus appeared, Thomas called out, my Lord and my God. He immediately knew who Jesus was. He immediately believed in the resurrection. The proof was in the presence. We may not get all of our answers on this side of glory about the resurrection, but I do know this. Jesus is the real thing, and he's really risen from the dead. And so he invites us to dive in, to follow him. Jason Michelli writes, to follow the risen Christ is to take a chance, to take a risk, to trust that whatever we mean by Lord and God is found in Jesus. To follow Christ is to risk that trust and then to have a life in his name. To live in such a way that makes absolutely no sense, 
no sense if God has not raised Jesus from the dead. The way we live reflects the risen Christ. That's what 1 Peter is talking about. Now, of course, he says sometimes we get off track. So he tells us to rid ourselves of malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. You don't want to keep tasting that. It's so bitter. It's like that Beverly drink. You want to get that out of your mouth as quickly as possible, and you don't want to go back for more. But instead, to live in the name of Christ, to have life in his name, means that we seek out what's good, the pure spiritual milk, so that we may grow into salvation. Jesus is offering us what's good and holy. He wants us to be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. That's what it looks like to have life in his name. So to borrow from another ad campaign, just do it. Drink the good milk. Come to him. Taste and see. Jesus is offering us grace and salvation. Fill your cup up with all the goodness of God. Even in the skeptical age, all of your senses are telling you that God is good and that he loves you so. Hear the voice of Jesus. See him. Take communion and and taste the bread and the wine and know that you're experiencing the risen Christ. Smell the Easter lilies and remember that he is alive. I love how in that upper room, Jesus is speaking to Thomas but he's really addressing us. He's kind of like one of those TV shows where they break the fourth wall and look at the camera. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Don't you see that big wink at us? In our skeptical age, Jesus is inviting us to taste and see. We believe because we have the testimony of the witnesses through scriptures. We believe because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe because we have experienced the presence of the risen Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him.